0: I'm Dave Baker and I'm Andrew Price welcome to Deep Cuts the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins outs and nitty-gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function
1: today's topic is the most expensive Star Wars ripoff ever made message from space
0: what is message from space it's the most expensive live-action film in Japanese history It was one of the first attempts at making a global story, casting both American and Japanese actors. It boasts a cast which features Sonny Chiba, Vic Mario, and Hiroyuki Sanada, who you might recognize from Avengers Endgame. Oh, and it's also a bootleg, and it's also a bootleg ass Star Wars ripoff film. One, space, the final ripoff. It's the 70s, the 1970s, 1977 to be exact. Star Wars has just come out, and the world will never be the same. So, if you're Toei, one of the biggest special effects-driven Japanese live-action production companies, what do you do? Do you rest on your laurels and let these upstart Americans led by this guy named George Lucas show you up? Fuck no! You're the people that made Godzilla, for fuck's sake. You're gonna go out, and you're gonna beat him at his own game. And also, supply a content-starred marketplace by delivering a ripoff movie and attempt to capitalize off the fact that you're going to make Walmart brand Star Wars. Because even Walmart brand Star Wars means that there's a shitload of money to be made. Message from Space was directed by Kinji Fukasaku and it's exactly what it sounds like. Bootleg, garage sale, awesomeness. That makes you say, how did I not know this thing exists every 15 minutes? Prior to us talking about this episode, had you seen Message from Space? I don't...
1: I don't think I ever watched it fully. Mm. I definitely knew it existed.
0: But at the very least, I feel like we've talked about it, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I knew about it before that. And I think I've just seen clips, like a compilation thing of like scenes from this. Like Star Wars. Star Wars ripoff movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I I, I don't think I've seen it because in watching it, I was just surprised. Like there were several moments where I was surprised at just how directly it was a ripoff of Star Wars. Yeah. And I feel like if I had seen it before, I would have – it wouldn't have been as much of a surprise to me.
0: Mm. Um, So this outline, which we don't even necessarily have to follow, um, but the outline is uh, the wiki summary of Message from Space, which is exceedingly long and asinine, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, And I thought it might be funny to try and read some of it before just devolving into us talking about the movie. Um, (coughs) But I – you know, I so I rewatched it again last night and I I just have to state for the record, I love Star Wars, but I think I love Message from Space even more. It is so exactly what I want. I kinda have
1: I kinda have a little bit of a different
0: Oh, you're not into it? Opinion. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, I don't know if I felt the same way. Tell me your thoughts.
1: Um I mean, it goes without saying that, uh, many of the components of it are fucking amazing. Uh, you know, primarily set design, costuming, uh, the, you know, the, the models the, the are the scale, amazing. the scale model, um, spaceships and locations, the, the, um, the special effects, um, it's kind of like the the mood and the tone of the movie. Uh, my issue with it, I, uh, a couple different issues. Well, first of all, before we get into anything about what I didn't like about it, it's got to be said. It's gonna be an elephant in the room unless it's said. The main like Princess Leia character. The old oh, there's like two Princess Leia. Yeah, there's, there's two. There's an actual but princess, the, but the white Princess Leia. Yeah. She. <laughs> what did you do? I don't know. Oh, it's just Velcro. I thought it was. I thought it was like the wood of the table. No, no, it's just. The- um, she is nearly a doppelganger for Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs>
0: I mean, does it make it? Does it make sense why I love this fucking movie? That I mean, if, CRJ baby, <laughs> CRJ. If there's nothing The only else. thing, the only thing I would love more is if somehow I ended up with the rights to Message from Space and they let me remake it. But I didn't remake it. I just used the existing movie and then deep faked CRJ's face onto that woman's face because I yes. The only thing I love more than bootleg CRJ is actual CRJ. So the thing with the movie and like. Should we should we should we talk through the the rough beats of the movie before we yes okay yes. so the movie's it's a star Star Wars ripoff movie it opens with this kind of like Empire like you know uh, Star Wars Empire like evil organization taking over the universe and there is a not Obi Wan Kenobi style guy who's on an amazing soundstage with a bunch of extras and he's got eight little magic uh, acorns.
1: Oh, and by the way, I feel like I am not going out on a a limb to say this, but the eight seeds that get spread around the universe, that definitely inspired the Dragon Balls. Oh, wow. Really? I mean, I'm not, I'm just saying like it had to have. When did the first Dragon Ball start? It was, I mean, it, it was like, it was in the early 80s. Oh,
0: wow. I don't know any, I don't know all that much about Journey into the West. Is, are the Dragon Balls a part of
1: Journey into the West? Well, I mean, I think I think Dragon Ball is like loosely based yeah. on that as a concept. I don't, yeah. I I didn't think that there was like some kind of things that got spread around the earth like that.
0: Oh, okay. I I really don't know. Um, if so, I really hope so. I really hope so. But I would, my gut says Journey into the West probably has some mystical thing being spread around, and mm. then both of these things are ripping off Journey into the West.
1: Maybe. I mean, maybe I just need to look that up. But th- there's just like a shot in Message from Space that is just like. It's just one-to-one of that of the shot of when the Dragon Balls get... Once you make a wish, and then they get re-spread. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where, like, the Dragon Balls float up into the air in, like, a mass surrounded by an energy. And then they all just shoot off in, in seven different directions. Yes. And there's a shot in Message from Space in the beginning where that exact thing happens. Mm. The eight seeds float up into the air with an energy ball around them. And then mm. they shoot off into eight different directions. Like, like just one-to-one so good so basically not obi-wan kenobi guy sends out these
0: eight seeds each seed is going to be uh connected to somebody who is a good heart is going to be a hero and help uh this indigenous population on this planet defend their planet from this evil empire um there is a darth vader style character who's going around hunting all these people trying to kill them and there's also uh, this princess who's kind of trying to get everybody together. And um, there's eight characters, each of which has a seed, some of which are major characters, other of which you want to be major characters and are not. Um, there's a couple. They basically like split Luke Skywalker into two characters one of which is a Japanese actor, um, the previously, uh, previously mentioned... Um, oh, fuck, what the shit is his name? Um, uh, Hiroyuki Sanada. Uh, he's kind of the main guy, and there's also a white dude, and they're like kind of best friends. And then there's an old general who's kind of Han Solo, but he's drunk. He's like, he's like Han Solo and Quint. Yeah, Quint. And he's obsessed with... He has a robot sidekick called Beba Two. But his the movie opens with his sidekick, Baba One, being decommissioned by the military. And he spends millions of dollars to send Baba One's lifeless corpse into outer space on an actual
1: full-size rocket. And then his, like, superior is like, what the fuck? And then he just resigns. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, I'm out.
0: This is bullshit that you decommissioned my totally not lover, Baba One. Yeah, he's he's fucking those
1: robots. Dude, he Nobody is, nobody throws away their career like that no. for a for a platonic robot friend.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, you know, there's kind of like a socialite rich girl, the princess, a couple other characters. And towards the end of the movie, they all come together and they end up, you know, it, it, you know, you kind of gallivant around putting the team together. They have to go do stuff. But most of it's putting the team together and then they meet the, the knight in shining armor style character at the end who's going to help them defeat the evil empire, who my boy Sunny Chiba, played by Sunny Chiba, who I want to be in the whole movie.
1: You, do you want to see Sunny Chiba sword fight for thirty seconds, dude? He's if watch even message 30, from space if. if <laughs> (laughs) even 30 seconds he is in that
0: movie so briefly you could like blink and miss him but his costume is dope and he has a fucking awesome 30 second sword fight Yep, um
1: it's like the only impressive hand-to-hand fighting in the whole movie
0: yeah everything else is really dorky and (laughs) shitty and kind of like doesn't really work and even when they shoot people with laser guns like the the laser guns don't it's not like in Star Wars where you shoot somebody and then there's a practical explosion on that person's chest and then they fall over. Yeah, It has
1: no impact. It just looks like it looks like somebody getting hit with a with like a laser tag gun. Yeah. Just and, a light. And they just and casting they, on they
0: them. rotoscope. The actors kind of uh, jittering around and then falling over. And that's it. But I kind of love that, though. I kind of love that they were it's the most expensive movie in Japanese history. And they're like, "eh, we'll just just flop around. It'll be fine. (laughs) It's so great to me. Um, But the and then so then, you know, our stalwart heroes have seeds. They come together. They fight the bad guys on this big ship um, that is run by the not Darth Vader character whose design is fucking amazing it is he's got a six horned samurai helmet and a gold uh silver face just face painted silver fucking awesome yeah they fight guess what spoilers the good guys
1: win everyone lives happily ever after those are the broad beats of the movie but the thing it doesn't... then it's got like a Close Encounters ending where all these people just decide to just throw caution to the wind and go live wherever the aliens are going. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they go live on the weird alien homeworld that sent the seeds. Um, And, you know, it it's t- describing the movie. It's like, oh, yeah, that's a movie. No, man, no. It's a religious experience. The bizarreness of it, the weird... It's almost shot-for-shot shot Star Wars in certain sequences, but made better and worse simultaneously. The models are so good. The, the costumes are so good. The, everything is so vibrant. Like, everything is turned up to 11. There's a sequence where they go out into outer space, and they're floating around this asteroid belt wearing just kind of goggle, like, face masks. And they're, like, it's, like, really awkward wire work where everyone's just kind of, like, floating like they're belly flopped in midair. I just ah I just love it so much.
1: Yeah, I was actually I was going to say I, I it's it's super fascinating in what ways they like really diverge from Star Wars and then in what ways it's so they just completely shamelessly ripped things off. Like it's crazy the oscillation between the two. Because in it like the whole like eight seeds that go out into the universe and then like assembles eight heroes like that is so different from star wars and then and then there are shots of like not star destroyers that are the same shots from star
0: wars where yeah. it's like coming overhead and you're like going up into the model like
1: it's the same thing yeah the you know and then there's things like you know just you know toward towards the end like the whole ending sequence is just straight up star wars it's yeah. like we got to we got to get a, a laser blast into like a 10 centimeter hole in this thing. Let's thread the needle. And the whole last sequence is, is exactly the same as the the final sequence of A New Hope down to the point where there is just a line that is verbatim. They just used a line from Star Wars. Uh where uh, I think it's I forget I forget exactly I should have written it down but like one of the characters just goes like we got him or or a direct hit or whatever yeah. I forget what it was but it was just it was just the line from Star Wars and down to the fact that like the one music cue that they use in the whole movie is so similar to Leia's theme that it's like there's like. Grounds for a lawsuit. <laughs> it's it's so exactly yeah. Leia's music cue. Yeah, Leia, Leia's theme music. But cue. But the interesting thing too is like
0: the cantina scene where I think his name is, is his name General Hans, the weird drunk yeah. guy. Yeah. So General Hans is in a cantina getting drunk. No, general
1: or his general. General Hans, Hans is Sonny Chiba.
0: Oh, okay, never mind. Whatever the fuck the guy's name is, that is not Han Solo, not Quint. Yeah. He's getting drunk in a cantina, and the cantina. Like, it feels like it should be the Star Wars cantina of, but there's, like, a massive dance number with Japanese dancers in thongs. Yeah. And you're just kind of like, wow, this is so alien, and then at the same time, so familiar. It's so weird.
1: But then the, uh, the mute, actually, no, that's crazy, because that movie hadn't even been made yet. That's weird. I didn't even think about this. The music that the band is playing in that cantina scene, it doesn't sound like the Star Wars cantina band. It sounds like the Max Rebo band from... Oh, yeah, it does. But that that movie hadn't even been made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really does,
0: yeah. Yeah, and there's, like, guys in rubber costumes, which are kind of bad, and, like, people gambling, which also wasn't really in the Tatooine thing that was kind of in the later movies, or even Canto Bight, you know, like... It's so I just there's something about the patina, the very specific patina of '70s Tokusatsu that I just fucking love. The we're really trying to make the the world feel real, but we're doing it with very little money. There's something about that that is very appealing to me, and I I don't quite know what. I guess it's that that authenticity of like. <coughs> They're really trying to do a thing. It's the same reason I love like Godfrey Ho movies or like, well, maybe he's not a perfect example, but like uh, Kwai Chi Hung or any of those kind of like people who are obviously very visionary, but don't have the access to resources. And so because of that, the the films they don't have a polish to them. They have they kind of have a, a crudeness around them because every decision is informed by passion, not by a commercial sensibility. Even though this movie is nakedly commercial. Yeah. Um but I it, I guess it's just the combination of those two things. And also, I hate to, I hate to say it, but it's my boy Shitaru Ishinomori, man. Everything in this fucking movie looks like a Shitaru Ishinomori character design.
1: I mean, that's 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 definitely the best part of it. Um Because he literally did the yeah, designs. Yeah, the, the 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 costume design and like and all of the scale models, all the ships. I mean, Putting that, isolating that, the, the 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 character designs and the like ship designs are just cooler than Star Wars. Yeah, um, I love the ship that's just like a fucking like sea ship. Like <laughs> yeah, a flying yeah, a flying
0: sea ship. Yeah, yeah. It's like a man of war.
1: Yeah. yeah, and then just like the the costumes of like the Darth Vader guy and his minions is like it's it's so cool and it's also so funny because. Like Darth Vader is obviously like George Lucas's interpretation of like a um, sci-fi shogun warlord. Yeah. And then like, so he's, he's drafting off of these samurai movies and like interpreting that in this science fiction lens. And then they take it and then they like do, and I don't even know if they were aware of it or not. Like, I don't know if they knew like, oh, like obviously this is paying homage to these, or if they just thought that it was an original thing. And so they're like, we're going to do our version of this, of these characters. So we're going to do our version of Darth Vader. So they're taking, they take this like character that was inspired by like a shogun warlord from old samurai movies. And then they do their interpretation of it, which is like, let's turn this character into like a samurai shogun warlord. So it's like a weird double exposed like interpretation of of this thing which makes it just like this weird warped version of the original thing and I don't even know if they were aware that they, that was happening but it's so fucking cool. Yeah, I mean he's by far the best part of the movie. Like he's every
0: time he's on screen I, I was just smiling. Like he looks so great and that fucking throne room set at the end of the movie Mm -hmm. like that is that is that's dangerous to me that's the kind of like lenny riffenstahl like if you showed me that throne room as a real place and you're like all you got to do is just murder six billion people i'd be like i'm gonna i'm gonna sign up this is great this throne room set is amazing (laughs) what i just gotta go to some weird planet where they have acorns just kill a shitload of people but i get to hang out in this blood red throne room this is great
1: i'll hit the red button yeah on the death star
0: yeah obviously i don't actually never mind yeah of course i don't actually think that but god i just love that throne room set yeah just love it so much it's so fucking cool like and also the the hierarchy of design is is so great where like his lieutenants are his costume but instead of having three horns on his helmet you know uh in profile, you know, three kind of like giant weird spider legs on his helmet. The the lieutenants just have one and then the stormtrooper guys kind of have like weird they're they are samurai helmets, but they're they're smaller and black and
1: oh man. And if you if you don't know the 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 guy who did all the designs, the costume designs and like ship designs and concept art for the movie is the guy who created Common Rider and Cyborg 009 amongst other, like, legendary Japanese tokusatsu franchises.
0: My dude, Shotaro Ishinomori, man. I love that guy. I love that guy so much. Yeah, his... And it's so funny because I saw it for the first time at the New Beverly. Um, they were doing a, a month of Star Wars ripoff movies. So they would show every Tuesday for the whole month, they showed two Star Wars ripoff movies back to back. And I went to this not knowing what it was, and I saw a Message from Space and then the second movie was uh, a David Star
1: ha- Wars The Force Awakens? <laughs>
0: what? <laughs> the second movie was uh, a David Hasselhoff Star Wars ripoff movie called Star Crash, which I did not see because I was so on cloud nine after seeing this movie, I had to leave the theater <laughs> and my friends and I- Stood outside the I don't know theater. My night
1: ruined by Hasselhoff.
0: We stood out there till like two in the morning, just basically screaming at each other about how good this was, and I love it so much. So now tell me all the reasons you hate it.
1: The reason my issues with it are fairly simple, unsophisticated. I don't have a bunch of little nitpicks or anything like that. Uh, my issues from least to most important are number one, like I said, I'm fascinated by the the times that they chose to majorly diverge from Star Wars and the times that they chose to like just rip it off wholesale um, to the point where I actually feel like it detracts, like just thinking about it as the movie that came out when it came out and what they're trying to do with it. How just blatantly word for word the final sequences of the movie almost makes it if your if your intention is to create this movie that's supposed to, uh, you know, fill a Star Wars shaped void in people's lives after they've already seen Star Wars and they want more Star Wars type stuff. And then like, here's another kind of Star Wars type thing. Um, how verbatim identical the ending of the movie is almost makes it a redundant viewing experience where it's like, why, you know, why would you, if you were looking for more Star Wars type stuff, why would you watch a movie that just has the exact same ending as Star Wars? Like I just, I'm just imagining it from the perspective of somebody who might've Mm -hmm. this movie been shown to them and enticed them in a way, um, uh, but that's just that. that's not a huge thing. It's just something that occurred to me is like, I feel like they almost kind of shot themselves in the foot in terms of how well this movie did financially, which we'll talk about later, that they just they, they made it diversion in so many ways. But then they made it the same to the same in some important ways of just like this movie just ends identically to Star Wars. And why would why would people go out and tell other people to go see a movie that's just has the same ending? Um, my issue with it you know the the character design the, the, the ships the locations the special effects all really awesome the, the movie was was directed by Kinji Fukusaku you know he directed Battle royale uh, and he's a great director uh, but for my money the movie for my the way I watched it the movie was shot, Like a samurai movie, it was shot in that way that Kurosawa shot all all those those samurai period epics, and the way that those movies were always shot uh, was they shot things wide and really like getting all the action from an an objective in profile. Yeah, yeah. So things they they didn't those movies weren't shot particularly cinematically. They were shot to basically they created a composition and the composition was wide and it got you know a lot of detail into the frame. And the way that those movies worked was through the just the kinetic energy of what those actors were doing and how they interacted with each other and how these set pieces were choreographed. And this movie was shot like that. It was shot in that way, and it wasn't shot cinematically like like uh, like Star Wars was. Um, but I feel like they didn't they didn't take um, the risks. That Kurosawa took in the way that he executed and shot those scenes, because if you know, they they did some crazy shit shooting those movies. The way that people would just charge into crowds, and the way that they fought, like they were doing some dangerous shit, and they were like, they were just like, like I said, the 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 those compositions were all about just capturing just kinetic, dangerous, risky energy in this wide way where you're just taking in all this detail. And the movie was shot like that, but you know, the, I I feel like they in the way that they executed um, things, they kind of pulled punches in that in that in that effect. So to me, the the a lot of the scenes just felt a little undynamic and didn't have that kinetic raw energy that really makes that type of shooting effective. Um, so as opposed to Uh, You know, the way that that cinematography is effective for capturing that energy, it almost the performances of the actors and the things that they were doing to me kind of felt a little swallowed by that cinematography. So scenes lacked impact to me. Uh, And I think that was my main issue with it was that uh, as cool as all the, uh, the design was, as interesting as a lot of the details were. Um, scenes and moments and performances were swallowed by this cinematography style that sort of demands um, a lot of risk-taking that they just didn't do.
0: Interesting. So you're saying when he finds the acorn in the engine of his ship, you wanted it to be more dynamic?
1: I mean, maybe not necessarily that scene, but certainly a lot of the... A lot of the action scenes and a lot of the emotional character moments are, to me, were swallowed by the way that the movie was shot just because because they didn't push it and take risks with the way that they executed the scenes. It's funny, too, because so much
0: of the movie is like effects, 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 effects. Almost to the degree that it's like every shot is bloated. Like every shot has either like a foreground element that's weird or they're, you know, there's rear screen projection or there's a model or they're floating in outer space on blue screens or, you know, they're using motion control cameras to sync up various plates of ships flying through outer space. And I think that's counter to what you were describing. The thing I loved about it and the way it's shot is that it feels almost kind of, you know how Phil Spector talked about like a wall of sound yeah. and how he was, you know, there's always a bazillion aspects to any of his production recordings that's the thing i liked so much about the way message from space is shot is that every shot has 15 things that are being attempted and are they all successful mm, not really but the fact that they're being attempted is mesmerizing to me and the fact that like vic morrow is like kind of just sleepwalking through the movie yeah is amazing like he's so bad in it and he's not a bad actor like he's a really good actor but similar to kind of you know you know there's the urban legend or the folklore about how nobody understood star wars while they were shooting it and how mark hamill was the only one who was like actually i think this is gonna be cool and harrison ford was like this is gonna be a piece of shit you know like it's funny how that kind of is here too where you can feel that the younger cast members are really like we're making a movie and vic morrow is just like
1: can i go home now like 10 years away from being, being be, decapita- de- decapitated decapitated
0: <laughs> oof, oof,
1: fucking awful let's just get through this
0: yeah um yeah i don't know i i it's just such a cacophony of like attempt it's mesmerizing to me
1: yeah and i know exactly what you're talking about and i i just i that's the effect that i wanted from it and i just it just never i never got that mm. it, that just never clicked for me it just mm. like i said it just th- that stuff those attempts and those things they just never quite gelled in that way. They didn't create that wall of visual.
0: You needed a you needed a Darth Vader character that had seven horns. Yes, twelve horns.
1: Seven would probably probably suffice.
0: Cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just loved. I loved the amount
1: of. <laughs> I wonder if I would if I would have felt differently watching it in a movie theater for the first time as opposed to watching it on YouTube. I, I definitely definitely,
0: especially because the, the theater that I saw it in, where it was like by myself. Yeah, Without, by yourself at yeah. like two a.m. after the kids and Jaden have gone to sleep, and you're just like, oh, "Fuck! I can't believe Dave's making me watch this fucking movie."
1: <laughs> and you're just grumpy, and you're just like, oh, "I this mean, I, sucks. I wanted to watch the movie. I was, I was, I was gleeful about doing it. I think
0: this is a fucking piece of shit! And this is fucking, I can't believe he's making me watch. This is a this fucking piece of shit." <laughs>
1: <laughs> Unless we do like the history of snuff films. Oof! I'll never, I'll never. Oof. I'll never uh, be begrudging about having to watch a thing as homework for. Tune in next time for uh,
0: deep cuts, the Siberian film, or whatever the <laughs> fuck the
1: the it, Serbian film. Serbian, a film. Serbian film.
0: What is Siberian? That's not that's not a film. I just made that up.
1: Uh, Siberia is a, it's a is place. A series of uh, point and click adventure games for the PC. Yeah,
0: man. Oof. Well, I'm a little crestfallen that you're not obsessed with this movie in the way that I am. However, I think it does officially establish that we are two separate people.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, nobody, nobody wants me to have had a different reaction more than I do. Well,
0: on that note, I think we can probably take an ad break. Act 2, The Fallout, Message from Space, was released in Japan and did pretty well and was acquired by United Artists for $1 million. It was thought that it would do very well over here and that it would feed the Star Wars starved market. Unfortunately, it didn't, which I uh, i am not at all shocked that this movie failed to attract an American audience in 1978. Yeah. Like this movie... in. 2020 is a bizarre nodule on, you know, the side of the Star Wars legacy, (coughs) which is crazy because A, it's the most expensive movie in Japanese history up until that point, only then exceeded by Kinji Fukusaku's next movie, which I... don't remember the title of it. i think it's like a virus it's like an inter- international pandemic movie
1: yeah and that was the most expensive japanese movie i ever made yeah. also he in addition to later on directing like i said battle royale
0: which is one of my favorite movies
1: directing one scene from battle royale 2 before dying and then his son took it over yeah uh he also directed all of the japanese segments from tora tora tora
0: oh i didn't know that oh wow huh?
1: like the the bridging of the gap of those two things is so crazy to me. Tora, Tora, Torah to Battle Royale and the fact that those two things are have one degree of separation is yeah. fucking crazy to me.
0: I think it's even crazier to go from Tora, Tora, Torah to Message from Space because at least yeah. Battle Royale is a quality film. I love Message from Space. I completely understand why a normal human would not <laughs> be into it and not love a movie because there's a red staircase. Yeah, I think that I wonder how much of that is just related to the fact that none of these mediums that we're discussing are singular voices right? Music is a little bit closer to it but there's not a single guiding person involved in any of these endeavors. I mean obviously the auteur theory states that a director is in charge of it, decision. That's bullshit though. Like they're like a a fucking you know I really need those TPS reports uh, by Monday type of guide you know Yeah. they can set a tone, they can set a direction but like the reason Message from Space is awesome is because of Shitaru Ishinomori. That one person not being there. Movie looks completely different. It could be better, but more than likely it's probably going to be a hell of a lot worse. Yeah. But then again, you see that, you know, you see that same issue with people that are, you know, kind of the solo acts too, you know, of people who are either painters or novelists or, you know, single people doing the endeavor where... They lap themselves, they start becoming obsessed with a specific stylistic proclivity that is becoming integrated in some way into their personality that they have now internalized and are doing out of a rote exercise because they think people expect them to have this specific aspect to their work. Quentin Tarantino with foot fetishes or the use of the N-word or you know any of these kind of snappy dialogue conventions that are associated with him and i don't know makes me it makes me wonder like what the numerical over under is on like when an
1: artist starts self-parodying almost yeah i mean that that <clears throat> fucks me up and gets in my head a lot because it's like i you know i can't even imagine how you would feel after making something that everybody loves and just becomes such a um benchmark and then just even making your second thing like I feel like I would just internalize so much about that first thing and people's expectations from it that I just I'd be I'd be terrified to make the second thing
0: yeah I was listening to an interview with Aaron Sorkin where he was kind of talking about that where he was talking about after the social network you know got nominated for Oscars and won Golden Globes and I don't remember if it won the Oscar or not but like you know did very well was critically critically very well received He was kind of aware that whatever he does next, it's the thing he does after the social network. Which is really interesting when you have a career as empirically successful as Aaron Sorkin. He's had like six TV shows, a shitload of movies. You know, you can't handle the truth is a fucking catchphrase. Like, it's fascinating that you, beyond a certain level of attention, you always have some sort of, Oh, fuck, I gotta get back up and do it again.
1: Yeah, I, th- I I honestly think, I mean, I have a wide range of interests, both in consuming and making things. And, you know, just to use a simplistic metaphor or comparison to just sort of illustrate what I'm saying, I honestly think that the only way that I could navigate that is, like, if I made, like, a just universally celebrated, award-winning country music album. Like, after that, I would have to just make, like, my second thing would have to just be, like, a death metal album. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't yeah. know if I could do that of just be like, no, now I'm going to make another great country music album and just navigate the feedback loop of expectation on that. Like, I think I would just have to do that. Yeah. To to, to cope with it.
0: Yeah, I think, I'm, I think I think that's curious, though, because I, I don't know that everybody has. I think I'm wired in a similar way where I have a varied set of interests. But I don't know that everyone does. I think there are certain people who they want to do... They want to climb a specific mountain. Yeah. Clive Barker doesn't want to make a musical. Clive Barker wants to make a psychosexual horror movie that is taboo and has homoerotic undertones. Yeah. That's all he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Everything he's ever done is that. Everything he ever will do is that. Not out of a sense of he's being pigeonholed and just that's what he wants. And I, I, I'd i be curious to talk to somebody like Aaron Sorkin or like a Jeremy Saulnier or something. Something like that, that Jeremy Saulnier has made three movies, two of which are fucking amazing and are very similar. There They are Jeremy Saulnier movies. Like, you know them. They have a novelistic feel to them. They are kind of meandering. They subvert expectations and they feel... Post three act structure, even though they still have a three act structure in them. He's got to finish that RGB th- trilogy, baby. Do you think he's actually going to? Uh, at this point, probably not. I remember he got he was signed on to do <coughs> one of the seasons, maybe season three of whatever the fuck that detective show, True Detective. Yeah, and then does anything happen past that because he left season three before it started.
1: I feel like we talked about this before, and I just can't remember it. But he was like attached. To like direct some like big thing that was like based on existing IP. Oh, really? And we had talked about it. I was saying that thing I said that I've said a couple of times of just like, that's just the track now. It's yeah. like if you make some really good, a really good original film, like it used to be like, okay, you made this fucking amazing indie or low budget movie. Here's a little bit more money to make something bigger. But now the track is you made this amazing indie or low budget movie. Here's the keys to fucking Blair Witch or whatever. Um, and that's just how things are now and it's like simultaneously cool and shitty cuz it's like oh it's awesome that fucking Ryan Johnson is going to direct a Star Wars movie that's insane but then also it's like oh but now Ryan Johnson's time is is gummed up in Star Wars and yeah. he's not able to just go and make three more knives out movies because he's making three fucking more Star Wars movies and there was something like that where like Jer- Jeremy Saliany was like attached to something. And I can't remember what it was.
0: I don't remember either. I hope he makes more weird <laughs> indie movies. That's what I would rather. But I know that um, the world is a hard place and it's difficult to pay rent on weird, shitty, low budget movies. So I get it. Yep. But also what if he just made weird more weird movies? That's what I would like.
1: That RGB trilogy. That RPG, that RPG, that RPG. <laughs> Yes.
0: So yeah, it was a failure. Uh, It didn't make its money back and it kind of languished in obscurity and nobody in the States cared about it upon its initial release. However, in Japan, it was a pretty big hit and it spawned a TV show, um, which was released the same year that the movie was released called Message from Space colon Galactic Wars. The show lasted 27 episodes which for a tokusatsu show is actually pretty short. Seems like a solid run, but it's really not. Um, Corporate-owned tokusatsu, like Kamen Rider or Sentai, those usually last about 52 episodes. And then the model now is it's 52 episodes and usually two or three movies. Um, a movie that's a handoff movie in the beginning, where it's usually um, you know, the, the previous writer handing it off to the next writer. Um, and then in the middle of the season, there's usually a standalone movie. Um, not always, but if it's going well, they do a standalone movie in the middle of the season and then a handoff movie where the writer we've been following for last year hands it off to the next one. Um obviously a little bit different. A, because that model didn't exist in seventy-eight when the movie came out. Um, but uh fifty-two episodes is usually kind of the when that stuff was at its peak. Um that's kind of what it was looking at. And twenty-seven, you know. I've never seen the show. Um uh a couple of the actors from the movie show up in it. Um, specifically Hiroyuki Sanada, yeah. Sanada shows up, uh, he's the main character in the show. And it's a little bit more Star Wars y. It's him, a sidekick, and a not Chewbacca style ape man flying around the galaxy having adventures of the week. Um, he has a pretty cool uh, costume where he, his helmet has kind of like a, um, like a, I'm a 1920s uh, dude in Africa with a pith helmet and like a little like neck skirt to my pith helmet. So he's got like a normal helmet, not a pith one, but it, it, he has that weird do-rag neck, uh, making sure your neck doesn't get sunburned thing. It's fucking great. I love the design. It's so awesome. It's, the silhouette is instantly recognizable where you're looking, you look at it and you're like, oh, I've literally never seen that design anywhere before. Um, and uh, the, the, in conjunction with the show, um, there was also a, a comic that ran in like a, a manga adaptation of the, sh- specifically of the show. Uh, that ran in Kodansha magazine um, from August to December of 1978 and was drawn by Kiara uh, Shintani. And also, I've never read the manga, but I've wanted to because it's never been collected. So every time one of my friends goes to Japan, I'm always like, yo, keep an eye out for that Kodansha magazine, please. Um, The the movie obviously has a pretty big, I don't even know if it's pretty big, but it has a cult following uh, the show and the manga. Not so much. Not so much. Um, but I feel like the <coughs> the show and the manga and the movie were all created in concert. Like I, I tried to find information on this, and I couldn't find any, any official documentation. But the show also came out in 78, and so did the manga. And that shit takes a while to put together. Yeah, so it had to, it uh, had it had to have been, been like... Not a reaction to the
1: movie, but sort of planned from the completely. beginning. Completely.
0: And also, Chitaru Ishinomori is credited as the co-creator of the show and wrote the pilot for the show. Um, so it must have been like like hey dude come draw some fucking not darth vader guys and then we'll give you a boatload of cash and you can write the pilot for this fucking show that's only gonna last one season um, but uh, but also the internet is unreliable so he might not have actually written the pilot because the pi- the stuff online says that the pilot or that the show is in air quotes co-created by toei and shitaru ishinomori which is like doesn't it's not it's not usually how that's accredited or yeah. works but it's fine whatever um, I mean just the fact that they made a fucking show off of this crazy Star Wars bootleg movie is amazing to me and I love it.
1: Yeah, I'd be interested in checking out the show. I almost feel like just feels like a I feel like a, a show version of this would almost appeal to me more.
0: Mm. Well, sounds like it's time for an ad break. <laughs> race bootleg bullshit highbrow hierarchy um yeah something that really interests me in general is like the intersectionality between in air quotes highbrow culture and lowbrow culture and how um, genre fiction is typically speaking relegated to a lowbrow culture bucket, um, where even though film usually is, uh, regarded as the pinnacle of artistic achievement, uh, falsely so in my opinion, but you know, it colloquially is referred to as like, oh, it's, the, it's the pinnacle of all the art forms. Um, genre, genre film specifically is, is kind of looked down on usually. And ripoff cinema is like the lowest of the low for that, Um, which is interesting because the reasons that Star Wars is successful is it takes these kind of like monomyth structures, you know, Joseph Campbellian, Heroes, Thousand Faces, um, repurposing them into a... Remixed fantasy setting, right? We've heard the story a bazillion times of George Lucas being like Yeah, and then I just uh just went and I talked to old Joey Camps and then we uh and I took some Forbidden Fortress and some Flash Gordon and I just shook it up and then we had a Wookiee and he didn't have pants. And Fox was like, You gotta put pants on the Wookiee. I was like, I'm not gonna do it. And like
1: It's like poetry.
0: It's like poetry. It rhymes. It rhymes. R- rhymes. Have you seen my film Red Tales? It's very for good. Very for good. Yeah. And uh I'm I, I just am obsessed with Not only the intersection between highbrow and lowbrow culture, but also how America and Japan talk to each other. Like there's so many weird ripoff films that are Americans aping samurai stories and then Japanese stealing them back and repurposing them. You know, even just like a lot of superhero tokusatsu shows are directly ripping off American superheroes, which are all like all of those narratives kind of are intermingled. And it's a chicken and the egg of which one came first. Right. <laughs> um it's it's so interesting to me how those things fucking jingle and jangle next to each other and then w- w- seeing films like this where it's like
1: oh that doesn't feel right <laughs> yeah i mean in the that like i said earlier the uh the weird way that that creates this like unique uh it's like that it's like that game uh for the playstation monster rancher i don't know if you ever played that Mm-hmm. Uh, Monster Rancher was kind of like a after the wave of popularity of Pokemon. Mm. There was all these other Pokemon things. Um, I wouldn't call them rip-offs because they actually were sort of franchises in their own right that had their own sort of Mm. fan bases like Digimon and Mm -hmm. uh, Monster Rancher was another one and there was a game and it's like a Pokemon type game where you like collect these monsters and you go around and there's like it was like you went around fighting people with them but then there was an element of it where you would like raise them on a ranch. And the gimmick of the game was the way that you got monsters was that you they were randomly generated based on data that you could um, put into the game by opening up the lid to the PlayStation and putting in any CD. And then it would read the data on the CD and it would randomly generate a monster based on that data. So, you, so that was the whole gimmick of it is you're playing Monster Rancher and you're like, what kind of monster would... It'd Make I put this corn CD in here, uh, and then what kind of monster would it make if I put this Hansen CD in there? And uh, that, that it, it reminds me of that of just like that weird mishmash of like, like you said, taking this American pop culture iconography that is cribbing or based on Japanese pop culture iconography, and then Japan like reclaims it. And then they like reinterpret it through their lens. So it's like Darth Vader is a shogun warrior based on Japanese samurai movies. Then they reclaim it. And then they do like almost like a henshin of shogun warriors where it's like, what if you took a remix of a shogun warrior and then remix that into a new shogun warrior? And then it's this new form and it creates this thing that would have never existed in the first place if that handoff hadn't happened.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, even like... There's a a Tokusatsu movie from the eighties. It was a to VHS would be franchise starter called Lady Battle Cop, which the a bunch of the eighties common writer guys got together and they made a film that was supposed to launch a franchise around I mean it's it's so one to one Robocop. Like it is it is robocop through and through they have the fake news reporters talking you know giving satirical commentary to things they have the police state they have the urban crime her costume is a. I mean, it, it just is Robocop. It's the the half mask, the silver body. I feel like the production model that the that message from space was made in was like really forward thinking, though. In that every movie now is cast with international stars. You know, foreign box office is the majority of where movies make their money now. And this movie had the foresight to realize Americans love Star Wars. If we make shitty Star Wars, we'll probably make some money. Let's just put some fucking Americans in the movie. And then the likelihood that we'll make more money goes up. Like that's crazy.
1: It was so much cooler what it was like a, a grift than when it was and like, then what it is now of just yes. like this corporate decision. Yep. Because I was like, you know, it's the same thing with spaghetti westerns, how yep. they cast they cast Americans in some of the roles. And they made up fake American names for all of the actors and filmmakers um, because they wanted to trick um, Italian audiences into thinking that they were American Westerns. Yeah. Because yeah. they were they loved American Westerns and also be able to take them overseas to the United States and then also trick them into thinking that they were American Westerns because people in the United States only want to watch American things.
0: Xenophobia. Yeah.
1: Yeah and it's it was the idea of like trying to trick people in this like back alley way is just a lot cooler than what it is now where it's like to appeal to the uh, Chinese markets we have to cast Mao Ling in this role and it's like it's just a it's such a Yeah. Watered down, corporatized version of it. Yep,
0: I agree. But I do, I do love how bizarre and uneven the film feels because of that, where there's people speaking, obviously speaking Japanese, (coughs) and then people obviously speaking English in the same scene. Very similar to a Spaghetti Western.
1: Yeah. Where, you know,
0: Clint Eastwood is speaking English, and then, you know, unnamed Italian actor is speaking Italian, and there's a guy speaking French. And
1: I was, I always think it's funny that in, in, um, In um, mostly Japanese movies, but also these spaghetti westerns and and some other foreign films, uh, when they do have uh, when they do have um, Americans in them, they for like the the dub, it's like all of the Japanese or Italian or whatever actors are dubbed over with American voice actors. But then the. The, the American people who are speaking English are also overdubbed. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny yeah. to me.
0: Yeah. Do you have any closing thoughts about Message from Space?
1: Um, Definitely would highly recommend checking it out. You know, if you're listening to this and something you never knew about, you know, like like Dave kind of said in the beginning, like it really is like when you watch this, you're just like, how, how did I not know about this? Like, how is this a thing that just isn't uh, common knowledge? Because it's so... Big in its scope and so crazy and so like you would think that this would be like a thing that everybody knows about. Um, It's not some crappy little low budget knockoff movie of
0: which there are many Star yeah. Wars low budget.
1: It's like it's like a huge film. Yeah. Um, And it's definitely worth the watch. I have issues with it. Um, Because you're cold and dead inside. Yes. Um, No, I I really... I I wanted it to fulfill that for me. Yeah,
0: I'm curious if the show would. I'm curious if the kind of like decreased scale of the show would help you kind of almost buy into the, the... It's almost like... It was a victim of its own polish. Like, if it looked worse, I wonder if you'd like it more.
1: Maybe. I also feel like there's something to be said with just the w- the the way that you're introduced to something has a has a oh, yeah. permanent effect on your completely perception of it. Oh yeah. And you saw it in a big movie theater with friends, and I watched it on a com- on a laptop screen on yeah. YouTube by yeah. myself.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that absolutely does have uh, an, an an impact. Um, but
1: uh, other than that, uh, y- you know, the, the things like this are uh, you know maybe my maybe I have specific issues with this one, but you know, I, there there's something just so. There, I saw this um, TED talk with Mark Ronson where he was talking was about. Was he wearing glasses? Was
0: he wearing? I don't know. The guy always wears glasses. I've never seen his eyes.
1: He might have been, but he was talking about why sampling is a thing and how. Um, DJs and and uh, producers, uh, you know that you know you, they sample things because they see this thing and they love it and they want to be a part of it and that's really why sampling became a thing and it might now kind of be done for you know other motives. Um, you know, I, I I don't think that. Uh, the Black Eyed Peas, just wholesale interpolating, uh, I have the time of my life. I don't think that's done for a pat out of a passion for that song. I think it's because their song sucked and they knew that if they just made that the chorus, it would immediately make the song, uh, hit on the radio because people yeah. would just be like, I remember that song. I like it. Yeah. Uh, but it started out from a place of, you know, these, these, uh, these producers and DJs back in the, back in the late 70s and early 80s, just like who grew up loving like old funk and soul records and just wanting to be like a part of the narrative of it. And that's like their way of taking a little piece of that and like imbuing it with themselves. And I, th- and I think that, you know, for whatever corporate um, motives there were behind making this movie to try to capitalize off of the popularity of Star Wars, the concept of bootleg movies and like seeing something and loving it so much and just wanting to like be a part of it and like add your voice to the narrative is just such a cool and interesting concept that we can do that. That that's, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just one of those things where it's like, oh just sometimes, sometimes hum- you just realize how cool humanity is. <laughs> uh, and that is not where I thought that was going. And the, just the, you know, the, 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 just the the organism that is um, the human hive mind where yeah something gets made and then all these people love it and then they reinterpret it in their own ways and it just you know it, I'm not not to say that like the bootlegs are better than the original, but certainly the world is more interesting when people take things and reinterpret them in that way and you have all these cool weird little things that you can kind of lift up a rock and find um, maybe someday we'll talk about another uh star obvious star wars ripoff uh slash alien ripoff from the 80s called space truckers i've never seen that that that. has dennis hopper in it and it's just about space truckers yeah i Um, I know of it but i've I've never seen it uh, uh just stuff like that it's just the fact like like seeing that on hbo when i was a kid like you know it's just it's just cool
0: Uh, Have you ever seen Battle Beyond the Stars? Battle Beyond the Stars? That's the Roger Corman Star Wars ripoff? Yes. Uh, Yeah, I've never seen that one either. Um, Have you ever seen Space Raiders? No. Space Raiders is fucking awesome. Uh, Again, a Roger Corman Star Wars ripoff, but goddamn, that movie is so fun. Up until the third act, where they just recycle footage from uh, Galaxy of Terror, maybe, and Battle Beyond the Stars. So there's just like random spaceships flying around shooting each other, and you're like, who are the? what are these ships? This doesn't make any sense. but previous to that, movie's fucking great. Um, yeah, I feel like we could almost do like a whole series <coughs> of just Star Wars ripoff movies because so many people have interpreted it over the over the decades. Uh, this has been Deep Cuts. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Please sub the show. You can find me online at www.heydavebaker.com. Where can they find you?
1: I work in social media for a living and in my personal life, I tend to avoid it at all costs. I have nothing you saved it we are going out on a weird down note <laughs> you can follow me on twitter at robots and comedy robots letter in comedy
0: I don't think I even follow you on twitter I didn't even know you had a twitter
1: I used to tweet a lot just jokes back in the day when that's what you would do with you, twitter yeah well just back in the day when it's like oh you can make really funny jokes on twitter and then like someday somebody will read that and give you a job and then now I don't post on it at all
0: mm, maybe you're just gonna get 12s of followers now yes
1: yeah. can't wait alright see you next time thanks for listening